Yes, let's start again. So, this is Ragini Anan on 25th of May 2021, speaking to you from sunny London. And today is Tuesday, like um, most evenings when we meet, it is a Tuesday. However, it is an action-packed, cosmically, and in the Vedic tradition, a cosmically rich day. Okay, so there's a lot going on in the great um, sky above um, in terms of the planets and uh, really whether you're coming from the Vishnu tradition, the Buddhist tradition or you're coming from uh, the Shiva tradition, today has some significance. Tomorrow and even not just tomorrow, we have already started the full moon cycle um, so let's first talk about what is the significance um, of the day Vedically. Today is seen as a Narsimha, the fourth incarnation of Vishnu's Jayanti. Jayanti means the day when he occurred on the earth plane. Um, and he took birth basically to remove negativity. Negativity from those that were seeking and those that were not seeking. So it was really a fight between the ego and the non-ego self. And Narsimha comes and rescues his devotee, a young um, individual by the name of Prahlad. Um, and in the Vishnu tradition, today is a, a day when a lot occurs in terms of wishing again for the devotees to be heard to remove negativity from the earth plane. So that's the Vishnu tradition. In the Buddhist tradition, it's also a Jayanti of Buddha um, in some calendars. And then in the Shiva tradition, it's seen as the Tamil. If you look at the Tamil calendar, it's the Murgans, um, Jayanti, or Murga being the second child of Shiva, who took birth from the third eye of Shiva, also took birth to remove negativity on the earth plane. And, and uh, Murgan is often depicted to have six faces. There is a lot of sort of um, background context to that, which you can look up. But the first face of Murgan is seen to remove darkness. The second face is, is there to bless devotees. And devotees is really looked upon as devotees of whom? Not just devotees of Murgan, devotees of any God-seeking tradition. Okay, so I look at... Um, whether it's Narsimha or Murgan, today is the day for devotees, people who are seeking. Okay, so that second face of Murgan is seen to bless all devotees on the earth plane. The third face is there to maintain dharma and tradition. Unless you have traditions, you're not going to have dharma. So um, that face of Murgan is very much a face that looks after tradition. 
Now this tradition is best seen in Malaysia, Singapore, and in the southeast of um, India. Uh, I happened to stumble across a Murgan temple in Singapore on this very day when the most incredible acts of devotion were visibly seen where people pierced their skin to um, pull chariots and then show their expression of devotion in such um, terrifying ways, but beautiful ways in some way. So all those traditions are there to protect dharma and to maintain dharma. That's the third phase. The fourth phase is the mystical knowledge, the hidden knowledge, which is always connected with wisdom, isn't it? So somehow Murugan is there to, he's seen to awaken the Kundalini and bring that mystical knowledge and give you the, um, the enlightenment feeling. The fifth phase is where he has his weapon of choice, which is called victory veil. The veil, which is um, kind of shaped like a, um, you know, spade, I guess, or an arrow, I should say, that protects people from negativity. And you will see a lot of people holding the veil, maybe piercing a lemon with it, which is all designed to be a ritual to take away negativity. And his sixth phase, he shows love and kindness. If you're going to be dharmaic, he not only shows love and kindness to his devotees, but even the enemies that he slays are liberated. Now, I know that takes a lot to kind of get your head around, but, um, you know, the idea that, uh, that a deity of the Hindu tradition can take on violence and then not give something good in return is just not there, okay? So even if a negativity or an enemy or a demon is slayed, that demon becomes more powerful at the end of their slaying because they've been slain by a demon and they get liberation of a sort. So this is a wonderful cycle, you know, very, very virtuous circle up type of a philosophy. So if you look at Morgan's story where he slays Tarkasur, he takes birth really to remove negativity. But then Tarkasur becomes um, a flag, a, a sorry, um, uh, his weapon, not weapon, his um, vehicle, um, you know, by which he travels. I believe the peacock, which is the vehicle, is Tarkasur. So he is kind of immortalized um, forever by being in that situation where he takes on Morgan as his enemy, but as he is slayed, he, he actually rises. So, the, the, so what I'm trying to say is today is the day where negativity seems to be um, the thing that can be removed from our lives, whether you're from the Vishnu tradition, whether you're from the Buddhist tradition, because Buddha, after all, was about enlightenment. And um, all these stories are about, um, you know, the 
the fight of um, good over evil. So that is the day we find ourselves here together, which uh, I had to mention. And uh, tomorrow is a very powerful full moon day, which we've already entered. Um, so again, uh, doubly aus auspicious to be here together. Um, the sun enters into Taurus um, in the Vedic tradition as well, signifying um, once you have dealt with all your negativity, um, the idea of um, bringing in wealth. So it is also birth star of Lakshmi, um, you know, Lakshmi being the goddess of wealth. It is her birth star, Vishaka, which also happens to be my birth star. And it's also a birth star of a great sage called Vishwamitra, who brought us the Gayatri Mantra and also um, Shrimbrazi of the Dr. Pillai tradition. So a very good day to be here today. So thank you uh, for showing up here on this auspicious day. And uh, what I'd like to say is that this is our second in the two-part series of friends and family uh, from the perspective of the Vedic culture. And it is our seventh topic in the eight wheels of life segments that we've been discussing over a course of time. So although we have chosen family and friends as a seventh topic to discuss, I would like to um, say that it is a very important um, segment. If you were to look at it from the Vedic tradition, it would probably t would have been ranked as number one. Okay, so most of us know that the Vedic culture takes the idea of family and friends very seriously. And last week we established that the Vedic culture draws from the epic of Ramayana to kind of dictate what their core values are going to be when it comes to family and friends. Now, if you look at the four things we discussed last week, which was sort of almost critical uh, to the Vedic culture when it came to family, is that number one, it's matriarchal in nature. And what does that mean? Matriarchal means it's feminine in nature. What does that mean? It reveres the feminine and the goddess. And what does that mean? Well, if you look at our mothers, what, what what idea comes into our minds when we think of a mother? Well, a mother is a is a unconditional pocket of love, isn't she? She is sacrificing, isn't she? She our idea of a mother is that she would give herself up for her children, sacrificial in nature. She is not greedy. So there are these two ways of living. There is the sacrificial model of living, and then there is that greed and fear model of living. So, let, you know, the fact that the Vedic tradition takes the matriarchal 
um, angle to their, you know, to their family organization is very, very critical, I believe. Now, not many people know this, but, you know, India was one of the first democracies, largest democracies, that actually elected a female prime minister, uh, pres- you know, that, that was quite radical when Indira Gandhi was brought in. I think it, there was only one other culture or one other country, maybe Sri Lanka was one. And I, I think Israel, Golda Meir followed, um, you know, as, as one of the three main women who led countries. So this, this concept, um, this myth or this idea that India is not um, friendly towards women is, is just a, um, a conspiracy, a me- media-controlled conspiracy, you know, in my opinion. So a matriarchal nature is very important to the fabric of family and fam- uh, friends. The second thing we said that was important was this idea of lineage or gotra, as we said. And gotra came from one of the seven sages and therefore pacifying um, your ancestors is a core thinking. Okay, ancestors who may have gone, but they are kind of pulling your weight, you know, you're helping them and they're helping us, even though we are not in the same dimension. So that lineage is extremely important in the Vedic tradition. And to keep it pacified and united is an important aspect. So it's a unifying force. Um, you know, it allows you to unify with your ancestors and all the um various parts of your lineage in a way that, you know, everybody lifts everybody up um, to, to reach the highest level of, of possibilities in the, in, in the field of lineage. The third aspect that makes up and is important to a Vedic family is this idea of we call it the caste system. We talked last week about how that whole term was hijacked. But there is this very important calibration of society that has to happen if we're going to have well-defined divisions of labor. And jati, meaning caste, was important, but it Vedic culture didn't force you to stay in one caste. You had Varna as well, which was an ability to step out of your caste by merit. And we mentioned Vishwamitra just a moment ago, uh, being his birth star today. We can mention him again here. He was one of the great sages who started off in the Vedic tradition as a um, Kshatriya, a warrior by caste. And to cut a very long story short, he aspired to be a Brahmana, the next level up. And he did a lot of work and through merit, he actually achieved the status of a Brahmin. Now, so 
the other myth that we need to burst is that the caste system is somehow fixated and uh, fixed in the Vedic culture. It is not. There's jati and there's varna. There's merit and then there's the birth caste. Um, but it's all devised as a sort of division of labor was very important that people didn't just willy-nilly without all the context and all the ability and all the experience just moved from being one idea of labor to another idea of labor. Now, I probably, you know, this is a controversial area, but the analogy that um, one can use is that, you know, we have a body, yes, and the mind is is seen in the Vedic culture as the Brahman. It does the kind of the work of the Brahman. Okay, then you have the the Kshatriyas, so your shoulders, your heart, which are the warriors, you know, with your hands you fight, with your hands you protect, with your hands you do. <clears throat> and then the next level, the digestive organs, the sexual organs would be seen as, you know, the next level down. And then finally, right at the bottom, you've got, you know, um, the feet and all the workers and that scene as the Vyasa. Now, it looks like a, a terrible analogy, but if suddenly the brain cells started to do the work of the you know digestive cells it's going to fall apart there has to be some order and that that was the order seen in the culture so the family fabric was kind of very well knitted into that idea of this you know division of labor but it wasn't fixated you could move in and out however um you know, on the whole, it was designed to kind of define very clearly the um, roles that that parts of society played. And when we when we get away from those roles, we know what trouble we get into. We we won't go into those controversial subjects now. So we could either hate the system or see some merit in it, depending on our point of view. So the third um, part of the family was, you know, the Jati and the Varna. And then the fourth very important element was this idea of family honor, which plays a very critical role where your, your ascendance as a family is seen as making a name but not just a name, an identity, a family identity is extremely important in the Vedic culture. What is your family identity? Now, that's not something that's, well, in the aristocratic um, families of the English tradition, I know that that is there. It's kind of fallen apart here too, but I have many aristocratic friends who, you know, have a similar system. They have an identity. So if you're a Scottish McDonald, you have an identity known for certain things. Or if you are a 
Spencer, you have a family identity. In the same way, the Vedic tradition was very, um, you know, particular about um, keeping the family honor that so that it wasn't tainted, so that there wasn't there weren't any parts that took the family name down. There were procedures and processes put in place to keep that honor. So these four aspects were very important, or are, are less so now, but if we were to go back to our Vedic roots, our Dharmaic roots, then we would have to look at reviving these aspects of the Vedic tradition. And I can see that, you know, lots of families are, at least in the NRI sector, the non-residential Indian sector, are looking at how can we go back to our roots? How can we have a revival? How can there, can there be a renaissance of the Vedic culture? Because we are seeing so much turmoil, so much pain, so much suffering as a result of having swayed so far away that, um, you know, if we don't fix these values through a belief system, we're going to just disintegrate. So the emphasis is for all members of the lineage to help lift the entire lineage. And parts that are bringing it down is seen as a negative force. So, um, and I'll put my hands up here because I was seen as a part that was bringing down the family name um, when I swayed so far away from the traditions um, that I, I was seen as a negative force. Now, if I was to really look back and say, is that true or is that, is that not true? I would say that it is true, you know, that there was something that was given up, something very subtle, which when I was young, I couldn't really put my finger on it and understand because some of these concepts were not outlined to me in a way that I could understand. Um, you know, it was all, always, you know, in the Vedic, oh, you just do that because you do it. It wasn't explained to you as to why you do it. You just did it like sort of blindly. But I think now people are understanding why our ancestors designed things in the way they did. And uh, we have um, value for that now, now having gone through the pain. So the Vedic culture is all about seeking. Seeking what? We're seeking to be our God self. And what does that mean? God self means not our ego self, but our non-ego self. So that one can be liberated from the clenches of the ego, <laughs> um, which initially sounds like a good idea, but it, it, it actually is very um, 
it's a force that kind of ties you down. It makes you powerless rather than powerful. And the climb towards your God self is always upwards, isn't it? It's a virtuous circle up rather than a vicious circle down. So at some point in our life, we make a conscious effort. We've gone so far down and we felt so much the pain of it that we think, no, 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 now we've just got to do something to, to get ourselves out of these dark holes we find ourselves in, whether it's a depression or negativity or feeling powerless or being in the cycle of greed and fear and doing all the things that go with it. So the whole Vedic culture, therefore, is designed to keep one powerful and away from the demobilizing forces I would say, of fear and greed. This is, the, this is why the culture can be um, sometimes easily attacked. You know, the, the Vedic culture is not based on fear and greed and has been constantly attacked. But when you want to live a dharmic life, Fear and greed has no part in it. You cannot have fear and greed driving a dharmic life. You have to become non-violent. And if you become non-violent, and if that is your nature, then invaders can come in and invade. But that gain is seen as a short-term perishable gain by the Vedic culture. So you can come and take something of somebody's, but it's seen as as a perishable gain, something that's going to not live forever, that there will be an effect of that. And there will be something that one has to give up in order to have that gain. And to allow invasion is seen as a mechanism to ascend in some ways in the Vedic culture. Because there is this concept of punya. Punya meaning? What is punya? Punya is the karmaic, good karma is seen as punya. Now, the whole family and friend thing is based around the concept of punya actually, if you if you were to boil it down. And if you were to boil down the Vedic culture completely, you would come to this concept of punya. There are two types of currencies. Okay, there is the cosmic currency, my, my guru puts it beautifully, which is punya. And there is the binary currency that we have as money. Um, you know, the, the bitcoins and the dollars and, and our stocks and shares, those are all binary currency. But the Vedic culture says, earn cosmic currency at all times, because that is an imperishable currency. It will never be taken away from you. It cannot be taken away from you. It is a currency that will allow you to travel 
vertically and horizontally time planes. So uh, what do I mean by that? That if you wanted to ascend to another plane, another dimension, cosmic currency will help you. Your digital currency or your binary currency won't. You won't be able to say, okay, when you're at the gates of the next dimension, say, here, I've got some dollars in my... Well, you're not going to take your dollars with you, are you, when you die? That's, that's a given. But what you will take with you is your punya. So if you look at... Very early on, we talked about the Mahabharata, didn't we? Now, there's a very critical point in that great war, the righteous war. Why is it called righteous? It began as a righteous war. Okay. People were basically dharmaic at that point, where like was fought with like. What do we mean by that? So it was fine to have a war, but if you were having a war, if you were on your feet, you would not be attacked by a man on a horse or a man on a on a, a elephant. It's a dharmic war. So if you were on foot, you would be fought with a man with who was also on a foot and had similar weapons. So it was a war where you fought like with like, and there were very clearly drawn out rules of when you fought, how you fought, and it was called the art of war. Okay, that's the righteous war, when like fights with like. The turning point in Dharma, in Mahabharata, when it turned, was when the, when the baddies, the Kauravas, were losing, they decided to become undharmaic at that point. There's a scene when Abhimanyu, um, the son of Arjuna, is fighting and he, they have engulfed him into a, a sort of a, um, a maze-like structure. He's entered a maze-like structure, uh, you know, on the war field, of which there's no escape. And... Instead of fighting a young boy with, uh, with like, they all decided, because he was so powerful, they all decided that they would just, you know, wield him weapons, um, you know, there'll be uh, hundreds fighting one person. And that's when they lost it. That's when it became undharmic. That's when the war turned from righteous to unrighteous. That's when Krishna had to step in and say, enough is enough. And that's when, um, you know, on a day like this, negativity is lost by an avatar. Okay, so fight the good over evil when dharma gets so out of hand, uh, dharma, sorry, gets so out of hand, a bit like what we are seeing at the moment on the earth plane, um, that ordinary individuals who are just wanting to be fair cannot be fair anymore. So, you know, but if you look at the Pandavas, the good guys on that side, let's look at their character against those four things that we talked about that makes up a Vedic family. 
Pandavas protected the family honor, okay, because they didn't do anything adharmaic. Um, and their caste and their lineage was also um, protected and assailed, really. Their matriarchal responsibility, i.e. Their, their responsibility to their mother, who was Kunti, was not made shameful. She was proud of her children. Unlike the mother of the Kauravas, she was ashamed, so ashamed that she could not even greet her living children to congratulate them or to, you know, to even give them a hug. She was, she was damaged as a matriarchal character of that family unit. She was ashamed. And the Kauravas, um, if you look at them, you know, they, they, they kind of, if you look at all four of those things, the lineage, the jati and varna and the family honor and the matriarchal system, they, they honored all of that and therefore they ascended their lineage, their family line and their family can, had a strong identity as a result and continue to have that strong identity even now. Even, the, even though they're no longer on that earth plane. And they are probably, you know, ascended, that lineage has probably ascended many, many lokas, many, they're probably at the Shiva lokas, you know, by now. Uh, they're, they're in Kailasa, you know, enjoying uh, the most beautiful um, life form. You know, they probably, in, well, they could probably move up and down any of the um, lokas and still have a family identity. They could go to Narga Loka, which is the hell, and still enjoy um, their family identity and they wouldn't be at all dishonored or be in any trouble. Or So that is why the family identity is so important. I think Mahabharata kind of um, probably sums it up beautifully. Ramayana starts it off in giving us a type of um, family to, you know, types of roles we should play dharmaically. But Mahabharata teaches us what happens when, when we get into a dharma. So we also looked at two ways of engaging in relationships last week whether with family or friends. We took, looked at two models that exist on the earth plane. And I'm not saying there's only two, there will be sort of shades in between. And you'll have to recognize where you sit in your family model and what you might, may want to change or what you may want to emulate or reject. Or, but the two models are the exploiting model and the enriching model. Remember I said one is matriarchal. The exploiting model sadly is male orientated in its kind of 
um, approach, okay? So the exploiting model is all about getting, get, get, get. The enriching is about give, give, give. The mother keeps giving, yes? And one is based on me and mine, getting through competition. You know, you get things through competing and opinions and material gains. What does that remind you of? That's a very male-centric world, isn't it? Competing, you know, um, material gains, you know, your shares and your stocks and, you know, how you're doing and your monthly targets. And it's steeped in this binary logic and binary currency, okay? Only the money for today matters. Who cares about tomorrow and cosmic currency and punya? just doesn't happen there. And that oscillates, that, that whole model of living oscillates between joy one minute when you get what you want and sorrow when you don't. So you, you've seen all the stockbrokers, you know, raising their champagne glasses when it's good and then they are, you know, taking uh, depressive uh, pills when it's gone down. So it's always going to oscillate in that binary world of uh, that exploiting model but the enriching model the giving and sort of slightly sacrificial model because the mother does sacrifice ways of living um, its approach is very much punya based methods of engaging to work and you know the cosmic logic comes into it and it's consciousness based transformational based and there's no oscillation of emotions in this model whether it's happening your way or not happening your way you always have to remain balanced and blissful and contributing so a mother can have the worst day ever but she'll still turn up for her children that's the analogy so you're always in bliss in that state, in that, you know, it, there's not this oscillation. You're just giving, 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 giving. I mean, I remember as a mother, I was just, you know, working, coming back, you know, making lists of lists. And, you know, I, I seemed to be on turbo charge. I was doing everything. I seemed to have multiple hands. I only had the one child, but, you know, I went to work for the child. I came home to be for the child. I was just there for the child. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy myself as well, but it, it, I was so self-centered before I had a child. And when I became a mother, it, it, it was the most incredible shift in everything, I became less self-centered. Um, everything I, I held as values just dropped. So that mother nature is such a valuable new way to approach our world. We need so much feminine energy on this earth plane at the moment whereby we've all, we are all the children of the feminine, but we are all going wrong somewhere along the way. And we're all going to the mother and saying, 
it's him, it's her, it's him, it's her, you know, and she has to decide who's right and who's wrong and how to pull the dharma back in so that all these fighting sides can calm down and see the wood for the trees and build a a society which starts with a family and friends and next level is society and next level is the city and next level is the world where we can all have those four aspects we spoke of that goes into composing because whether we like it or not we are a family of the world Yes, we may come from England and, and, you know, somebody comes from India. That, that's all irrelevant. We're one big family. And if we took family honor as a premise, and if we understood jati and varna as a premise of division of labor, if we took lineage and, you know, uniting force as a premise, And if we had the matriarchal, sacrificing nature, which was not centered on greed and fear, we would see a whole different world family. We would not see unjust wars that we are seeing so ridiculously on our screens where it is okay for a country to just go and bombard any old place and take out buildings, take out, you know, ordinary people, children, mothers. I mean, how is that a just war? How is Dharma even anywhere near that concept? So no wonder we feel shaken at the core because we don't understand how anybody can do it. How can you have the heart to do that? So there's a huge rebalancing needed. And it's going to start first with us building our own families in a way whereby we can bring some of this thinking, some of these values back in. Because the fear and greed progressive model has taken us down a blind alley for too long. And we now need to see that we are down a blind alley and take some light from wherever it comes to be guided back out. We've strayed far too far out into the Gaga land and we all need to be brought back. So today being this energy of removing negativity from the earth plane with the advent of Narsimha in the Vedic tradition, in the uh, Vishnu tradition, Murgan in the Shiva Shiva tradition, and Buddha as somebody, somebody who is peaceful and enlightened, signifying wisdom. I, for one, 
pray to all those forces, all those beings that we can recover from what's going on on the earth plane at the moment by having a realignment to a different way of raising families and raising friends whereby we sacrifice a bit of ourselves and give rather than be in this perpetual mode of getting and being fear and greed led. So I'm sorry it's been a bit kind of, I, don't, I never know where these topics are going to go, but maybe there's a little bit of urgency that I feel in my being for what's going on um, in the world today that I just, it came out the way it did. And maybe if it was another time frame, we could have talked about more positive aspects of Vedic family life or, you know, um, we could have taken it sort of more upscale. So forgive me for um, being a bit sort of, you know, uh, fierce today. Maybe the goddess energy was coming out. <laughs> I don't know. But with that, I'm going to open up the lines um, for any questions you may have now. And I'll be happy to answer what I can. So you can either unmute yourself or post your questions um, as you do in the writing section. So Rock, you said, is saying, um, thank you as always for these gems of wisdom. Thank you for being here is all I can say. It's nice that we can be here on this very magical day speaking to each other and and talking about something that needs needs to be talked about. And is there a mantra we can chant today, Lightsen is saying? There is the um Murgan Mantra, Om Murgai Namaha, Om Murgai Namaha, that's, that's always a good one, an easy one. There is the Ugran, uh, the um, uh, Narsimha Mantra, which you can chant. You'll have to look it up because I'm not um, totally versed with it. I do chant it occasionally. And it's the Ugram Viram Mantra, which is um, a good one, you know, to remove negativity. And then, of course, the mantra for um, the goddess, you know, any goddess mantra will help. Om Klim Parvatiye Namaha, Om Dum Durgaye Namaha. So Om Dum Durgaye Namaha. Durga is the mother that will remove negativity. Um, and to me, she is, she is much needed at the moment. So Om Dum Durgaye Namaha is the one I would use. So that's for Light Sen. Thank you for asking. And another Kyle is asking, a sunny day in London. Who would have thought? Yes, exactly. Um, it, you know, it's been raining like mad and, uh, you know, it changes by the minute. Um, so you're saying, who would have thought long, 
Thanks for the wisdom. What are your thoughts on families that may not be a healthy thing to continue associating with? Yes, now there are, that's a good question, yes, but you will never be freed up totally till you try and figure out ways to complete with your family especially your mother okay because when that relationship goes bad i think that you get tied up you can't be freed up till you find ways to solve that now the reason why i'm saying that is that before i started with uh, my guru um in march 2020 uh, Bhagwan Sri Nityananda Parmashivam, I was of the idea and thought that, you know, it's all okay, it's really fine. You know, my mother and I have disagreements, you know, I, I, I pinned all the blame onto her for how I turned out in my youth. You know, she left me, she abandoned me, nobody will love me, you know, I'm not loved, all those um crazy concepts that you took on board at the age of four which then went on to shaping your entire life and you held i held this enormous kind of weight with her um, but when i realized when i turned that into love and saw things through her eyes taking that juxtaposition, that meta position, putting yourself in their shoes and looking at you from their eyes is such an important thing to do. Because until you can find ways to resolve your relationships, at least your core relationships, you will never feel totally at ease, believe me. There will always be a subconscious part of you, an unconscious part of you that will be troubled. Maybe consciously you'll think, oh, I'm, I'm great. Look at, you know, everything's fine, perfect. You know, I don't need them in my life. But unconsciously it will hold you back and your lineage will not be able to, your ancestors will not be able to bless you because you've not done anything. You haven't you haven't taken a step up to resolve. You've, you've just kept it going, which doesn't help them ascend and doesn't help you ascend. So that would be the Vedic view. Um, and I know that sounds harsh because I know it's very hard to complete with um, families that are not healthy. But you must find ways is my view. So that was another Kyle. Absolute is saying, are the things you're talking about based on belief? Um, I really don't believe the Vedic culture is based on belief. I really believe that now. <laughs> that sounds like an oxymoron. It's not a belief. Vedic culture is not about belief. It is actually the truth. But without taking you through all the reasons why, which is a whole different 
set of modules um i can't i can't satisfy your logical mind with that answer you need because the logical mind is where beliefs are held mainly um vedic culture is more about experiences when it becomes an experience it's no longer a belief vedic culture is more about a lifestyle that gives you experiences beliefs are not part of it really because a belief is 50% true or 50% wrong that's a belief yeah you can believe that there is life after death or i could believe there's no life after death neither of us can prove that that is right or wrong but when you start having experiences based around the idea of there is a life after death then you it it's no longer a belief it becomes pure faith pure you know experience it's even it goes beyond so the the, the hierarchy is you know you have a perception which is uh, you, you you don't have a view at all then it becomes a belief where you sort of half in and half out right then it becomes a faith because there's been more experiences and then faith finally becomes just experience when you've had it so many times it's no longer a belief so vedic culture is a bit like that it's experiential and um the more i do vedic culture beliefs i don't have beliefs i i i just have experiences so that's for absolute floor 19 is saying i have really enjoyed your sessions thank you so much for taking the time out and doing this with us it means a lot well thank you so much for saying that i've thoroughly enjoyed doing it i've got one more module to craft its career and boy oh boy i have a lot to say on that on that topic topic because i've been through many careers in my life and it'll be interesting to see what pours out of me next two sessions so thank you for being with me and enjoying my sessions we will have been with each other for a third of a year after the next two weeks so i think we all need to pat ourselves on the back and say wow that's quite an achievement um armelitus is saying i am in turmoil with my family and i would like to make peace without con- conceding my principles which they disagree with and oppose how can i sw- swallow my pride without sacrificing these principles i believe you are already answering this yes please make peace armelitus please i pray for you for peace with your family it is it's a blind spot okay that you need to put some light on and yes you have principles but maybe those principles maybe you need to change your language maybe you need to to climb up to become an example okay whereby you get you get you 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 get them to come back to you because here's the thing with the vedic culture you realize 
everything is a projection of um, a blind spot in you. So your family is your own creation in some ways. And that's going to be a harder thing for you to understand at this moment in time. But you will see that the thing that you dislike in them is really the thing in you that you dislike. So work on that. Just sit quietly and say, what exactly about them not liking my principles and disagreeing with them and opposing them is what I don't like? And see if you can find similar examples inside you Sit with that, really be very frank with about that and see if you can understand that it is a projection of you, the very thing that you dislike. There are no external enemies, actually. They're all internal. It's a very big thing that I'm telling you, but take it from me. I've, I've gone through the pain that you're going through so I can feel for you. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like if you, if you tell a lie a million times, it becomes a fact, it becomes reality. That's what's happened to us. We believe it's all external, but it's not. It's all internal. And that is the seeking journey. That's why you're here. So please work with that. Don't give up on yourself. Remain powerful, but but don't don't walk away from the idea that you're not going to try and resolve it. Because it'll be just like hitting yourself. Yeah. Absolute is saying for you, I mean, of course, yes, you can prove it for yourself, not for the other. Great. You can prove it for yourself, reincarnation. Um, so you're now looking for more proof. <laughs> uh, there are proofs that are can be spoken and that can give you a sort of a logical, warm feeling. But there are truths inside that are just facts for you that are intuitive that your logical mind doesn't engage in it's it's a difficult one to explain to you um i'm saying you can prove to yourself that reincarnation exists but not to anyone else i agree with you yes it becomes your experience it's all internal and anyhow i think it's a more powerful thought to adhere to to say Okay, well, if Punya logic exists and I can travel planes and this it can't be just here, there must be other dimensions that I can't see and my eyes are not set up to see frequencies other than the frequencies it sees. So there is a lot of stuff that I can't see. And there, there's so many levels to this, right? And what is time? What is 
what is being birthed is it your soul is it your body there's so many you have to satisfy your internal dialogue with all that kind of internal um you know stuff that then you say okay well for me it's a fact it's it's an absolute it's not a belief anymore it it's real that reincarnation exists because i've gone through that maturity of thinking i'm not saying that not thinking it's not is immature but i'm just saying that i've gone through many many avenues of thinking so i i think absolutely you're agreeing with me definitely exactly and it's not for me to convert anybody because it's not for that it's your personal journey wherever you park yourself has its consequences and you will work out whether those consequences are worth having or not right so um and somebody's saying uh, absolute saying we have to you see deep inquiry is the only way yes deep inquiry it's about you know really it's having a rich experience of life is important as well in the real world and then unpacking it and and kind of you know dismantling your experiences of the external world and then mulling them over and <laughs> digesting them internally you know it's like you, you take the external world and digest it internally just like you digest food and you assimilate the subtleness of what's happening outside and and make your own view each each individual will have its own world and its own beliefs and faiths and whatever that's that's why we're all universes inside aren't we each one of us is a universe and it's fabulous that it is like that none of us are exactly the same and we should never try to be so whatever your beliefs are whatever your faith is whatever it's all perfect isn't it so so with that I'm going to um start preparing for our last segment for next week. Unless any of you want to unmute and talk to me. If not, I wish you a very good full moon tomorrow. It's a very interesting. There is also a another happening tomorrow is going to be an eclipse of the moon a lunar eclipse um so lots of things happening in in the great sky um which will have it, its own consequences on the earth plane and all i say to you is become a very aware of your own inner world um in the next few days and really connect with yourself is the best way to assail some of the cosmic things that are being unfolded unleashed on us um it's all always positive it's all always um auspicious even the bad points are actually for our own good 
and uh, I when my daughter was young I say you know when when things are going right things are going wrong and when things are going wrong things are going right so <laughs> it's one of those circular you know crazy things so we're just gonna go through it everything is auspicious so with that happy note I'm going to um, say good goodbye to you wherever you are enjoy your day I've thoroughly enjoyed having you here today. Bye-bye.